glory. We see the empty tomb and we recognize the, the, the offering of forgiveness and salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to, to not get distracted in these moments, but to just see you, to recognize your goodness and your grace, your mercy and your love. That we would, we would put aside everything and that we would lay at your altar everything. We pray for you to speak. We pray for you to guide us and lead us. I just pray for your glory that not only would we see it and behold it this morning, but that we would be able to share that, that we would be able to proclaim about what you have done. Lord, help us to not be silent. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Today's passage is Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will be surely say this prophet to me, Physician, heal thyself. Whatever we have done in Capernaum, do here also in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted by his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zephyrah in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. It is time. Uh, kids can go downstairs. Kids first through third grade um, can follow my wife downstairs. I th my wife told me a little bit of what they're doing today. It sounds like a lot of fun. Maybe we should all follow them downstairs. Yeah. All right. Um, so my name is Pastor Ruben. Uh, uh, this, um, 
just want to say thank you to everyone being here today. If you're a visitor, um, we have cards in the front, um, in, the, in the seat in front of you. If you fill that out and drop it off in that box in the back table right there, that box is it's for our tithes and offerings. That's for uh, the people of our church that are committed to seeing the kingdom grow, um, to offer sacrifices to our God uh, through financial giving. Um, but if you're a visitor, if you could fill out that card and drop it off in that box, and that, that just gives me a way to where I can reach out and I can get to know you and, uh, and we can just see how we can serve you guys. Um, so thank you for being here today. Um, I want to go over some announcements before I jump into the passage today. Um, we've got a handful of things going on. Um, I do want to mention tonight, excuse me, we will have um, Bible study, but our fearless leader won't be there because he's going um, to Salt Lake to get his wife from her trip. So, um, but we will have a Bible study tonight. Uh, we do have a small group Bible study on Sunday nights. We meet in that middle room right across the hall there. Um, and next week, we will be starting going through the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is an excellent book. Um, I don't, part of me just wants to teach Ephesians right now because, like, I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, it has so much great truth and then so much practical, like, how do we live out what we talk about? And so super excited for that Bible study. That'll be starting next week. And then uh, also while we're on the topic of Bible studies, we do still have on the back table by the offering box, there's, <coughs> excuse me, there's some slips of paper. It's a Bible study survey. Um, and so if you wouldn't mind filling that out and just kind of give us your thoughts on what, what it might look like uh, for uh, participating in a small group Bible study, um, less, less of getting in a room where I talk at you a lot and a lot more of uh, sitting down and maybe uh, things on the surveys like, you know, what topics are interesting to you, what are some uh, things, uh, time, when would be a good time and, and where we could meet. And so if you could fill out one of those surveys and then either drop it in the box or give it to me or Steve Ferguson, uh, and uh, we would love to continue uh, to encourage each other in this journey that we're on. Um, other announcements, Children's Church is going on Wednesday nights. So Wednesday nights is kind of a big thing right now. We have um, Kids Club and Youth Group. And uh, I'll be completely honest with you guys right now, okay? Uh, we need help. Um, it's been going great. And uh, I would say I'm thrilled with how many students we have coming. Um, between the Youth Group and Kids Club, I think we're pushing... I think every week we've been over 20 and almost 30. And so um, now sometimes you don't need a lot because things go well of help. Well, that's not true. We always need help. But sometimes weeks go well and you're like, ah, that was great. And then some weeks you're like, oh, I need help. Um, and so if you're interested in helping with little kids or with teenagers, um, you know, we're, we're looking for help from a whole range we're looking for people to just kind of uh, be there who can uh, be able to give some like good advice uh, to be able to be a pair of hands, to be able to make sure kids don't run away. That'd be good. Um, uh, and then, you know, we're also looking for uh, maybe some, some people that are willing to teach. And so if you're willing to help with Wednesday nights, please come see me or text me. My phone number's all over the place. 
Um, and so if you have trouble finding it, just it's on this piece of paper. It's in the announcements. And then last thing I want to mention today, and then we're going to get going, is the potluck. Uh, we're, we're trying this thing where on the first Sunday of the month, we, we do a potluck. And so everyone is invited. It'll be not next Sunday, but March 3rd. Um, after the service, we'll just go downstairs and have lunch and spend some time together. And uh, I, I think I think my family might start bringing some board games. And there's no like, you know, you eat and then you have to leave. Like I mean, we're just here to like get to know each other and spend some time together. So uh, that that'll be the first Sunday of the month. The theme this week, or not this week, this next month, March third, is soup and salad. Now this is a weird thing because I love soup, and my wife doesn't really like soup. And so any chance I get to have soup, I get very excited. So I'm begging you, bring your best soup because I want to try it. Like, I love, I, I don't, oh, split pea soup. No, you don't need to bring split pea soup, okay? I've, I've had good ones, and they're not bad, but, like, there's just way better soups out there, okay? Um, uh, so soup and salad, that'll be March 3rd uh, after the service. All right, so we're in the book of Luke, and, and the book of Luke has, has been super exciting for me because <laughs> we're talking about Jesus, that's why. Um, but uh, there's, there's so much to the story of Jesus, and I think there's, there's times when we know some things about Jesus, but uh, I think we can miss sometimes some really important things about Jesus, and uh, and one thing I like about the book of Luke is, uh, is the author, Luke, he was a physician, he was a doctor, and, and he, went, he went around interviewing people uh, to, before he compiled this. Like, he, he was like a journalist, like, ooh, that's a, that sounded not great. Like, he's not a journalist, okay? Like, he's, a, he's, a, he's an author of scripture. But, um, you know, he went and he talked to Mary. He talked to the other disciples because he wasn't necessarily one of Jesus's original 12 disciples, right? And so he went and talked to eyewitnesses, and, and then he compiles this, this telling of Jesus' life and ministry. And, and he tries to be so detailed. And we get some beautiful and wonderful aspects of his ministry in the book of Luke. And, and I think it's important because, like, Luke is trying to be really detail-oriented. He's trying to get a lot of the details. And, and sometimes I fear there's... there's Two, two really big dangers that happen. Sometimes we get so focused on details that we miss who we're talking about. And then sometimes we get so focused on, well, we just, we just all love Jesus that we don't know any of the details. And so I think it's really important as we, as we approach this, this gospel, this, this telling uh, of the life and ministry of Jesus that, that we appreciate and we learn from these details, but we never lose sight of who we're talking about. Who we're talking about is Jesus. And, and we have this passage here. Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. He, he's, he's getting famous. That, that first verse we read um, is kind of an in-between verse. It says, Jesus returned. This is after his baptism. And then after he was tempted in the wilderness, it says he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. That's a, that's a region. It's not a town. It's a region. And so in this region, the news of him went throughout all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues, 
being glorified by all. And so Jesus, Jesus, after his baptism, after this public declaration that he is aligning himself with the kingdom of God, what, what John the Baptist was preaching, after he is publicly declared, he now begins this public ministry where he goes, like he's going into synagogues, and synagogues are kind of like this, but not really like this. It was for the Jewish people of the day, uh, and they wouldn't go to the temple every Sunday. They would go within walking distance of where they were, um, and they would gather together, and they would study scripture together. And, and, and so the synagogue is a place where the Jewish people would come to learn about their God and, and what it means to follow their God. And, and Jesus, in his public ministry, his, his beginning of his public ministry is to go into these synagogues and, and be a, what, what's called a rabbi, a teacher. He, he would be one of the ones that they would come up and they'd, they'd take turns. It wouldn't just be one guy. It wouldn't just be a set of two or three guys. Like he's, he's one of the teachers. He's, he's dedicated some time to study and, and, and he's got some wisdom and it's been noted by other people. And, and so they would offer him an opportunity to read scripture and then they would discuss that. <clears throat> he might give some points about it, but then it would be like a discussion. And, and, and Jesus goes into the, the, the synagogue, and he, and he teaches. Now, we're going to learn from all the rest of the Gospels the things he teaches, right? Um, we don't have written down every single sermon of Jesus Christ. Um, we don't have written down every teaching of Jesus. But I do believe between four different Gospels, we have a clear accounting of the main things that Jesus was teaching. And Matthew puts it very, very simply. He says, Matthew's, uh, Matthew says that Jesus' first sermon he preached, the first thing he said after he was baptized, or not, not the first thing he said, but the, the first message he proclaimed after his baptism is, is he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is the message that he's proclaiming. This is what he's preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as he's doing this, he's gaining some popularity. He's, he's gathering a crowd. He's, he's, there, there's enough people that are interested in what he has to say that, that, that people are willing to come and listen to what he has to say. But here we have this little interesting story. Because Jesus, public display, public declaration, he, he's, he's aligning himself with the kingdom of God, and he's beginning to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's gaining some, some popularity. There's crowds that are beginning to come and, and listen to what this man has to say. And then he goes home. How many of you get like super excited about like how things are going, and then like you go back to where you grew up from? Grew up from? Back to where you grew up. Anyone else have like weird feelings like when you go back to like your parents' house? And it's just like, man, I've been learning and I've been growing and things are exciting. And then you go back in your mom's house and she's like, no, don't do it that way. Or how dare you say that? Or why didn't you take your shoes? Out? Like, I mean, like my mom's great. But like, you know, me and my, I have eight brothers and sisters. And, and my brother that we actually just put a picture up a moment ago, Elijah, right? Like he and I are a year and a half apart. And man, in, in fun. Like, we enjoy it, right? Like, we say things that my, my mom's all like, ah, oh, I wish you wouldn't say that. 
I wish you guys loved each other. And it's just like, yeah, 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 I do love you. That's why I'm saying stop, you know, like, like, you know, there's, there's that brotherly affection. But anyway, all that to say, there's, there's this context of what it is to like go home to these people who know you. And Jesus, he's gaining this popularity. He's, he's, like he's speaking and people are listening. And then he goes home. He goes to where he grew up, to Nazareth. And he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth. And they're like, man. People are listening to what Jesus has to say. Maybe we should listen to what Jesus has to say. Why don't you read? And they, they hand him the book of Isaiah, a scroll. And he reads a passage out of it. And it gets crazy. Here's what Jesus reads. He reads, for, it's out of, it, in our Bibles, it's chapter 61, if you're ever interested in going and reading it. Jesus reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I want, I want you to know, like, Scripture is this extremely powerful thing. It, it's literally the words of God. In, in other passages, it says that uh, Scripture is inspired. It, it's literally breathed out by God, and then men write what God breathes out to them. So God speaks, and, and, and men of God wrote down what God said. And, and now as we read this Scripture... There's great power in it because it's the words of our God. So the, the God of all creation, the one who spoke everything into being, has actually spoken to us. And we get to read that. But I want you to know, when I read scripture, there's an understanding that God spoke it to someone. Someone wrote it down. And now I'm repeating, I'm reading I'm declaring to you what God said to someone else. There's an authority structure here that's happening where I don't want you guys to think I get to stand here and tell you, God says this to you. The authority I claim is that I'm reading what God said and what God wrote down. I, I'm not, I, I don't want to claim to give you some brand new testament. God has already spoken. And, and I don't claim to have the authority to tell you something that's not in here. God has spoken and God has revealed what he has for us. But when Jesus, he reads this passage from Isaiah. And if I were to read this passage, I'd be like, man, this is amazing, guys. Like, there's, there's a coming anointed one. There's a coming promised one. There's a coming, like, we put it into multiple different words. There's a coming Christ. And this Christ, he will have the Spirit of God on him, and he will preach the gospel to the poor. And he will heal the sick, and he will deliver the captives, and he will... But what Jesus does is different. Jesus reads this, and then he closes it. 
And he says this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus just read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I am anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I am anointed. I am promised to bring salvation. I am promised to bring about the year of the Lord, the, the year of God's favor. In, in his own words, the kingdom of God. Jesus reads this scripture and he says, this is now. And he has the authority to speak it because it is about him. And it is him who said it in the first place. And when he reads scripture and when he speaks, it's not a question of, well, this is what I understand it to be. It's not a question of how do I understand what God has said. When he speaks, when he reads scripture, it's not a question. He reads it and he says, thus saith the Lord. And he closes it and that's it. In fact, he closes it, and then he speaks, and other men write it down, and now we have Scripture. See, Jesus, when he speaks, it is Scripture. And he has given to us this message that he's proclaiming. And I want us to recognize, when, when Jesus did this in the synagogue, it's different. Than whatever we do here. Because I'm not God. I don't give new revelation. God speaks. And in this moment, Jesus spoke. And when he spoke, and when he says this, he says, this passage is near and dear. Like, this is happening right now. Everyone understood what he meant. Because they're like, what? Rabbis don't get a run around saying, oh, this is, I am the anointed one. Now, let's be clear. Plenty of people in Jesus' time were claiming to be the Christ. They were claiming to be the Messiah, and a lot of them ended up dead. Well, Jesus ended up dead, too. Except there's one big difference, right? Jesus didn't stay dead. You know, like he rose again, he conquered death. Suddenly, there is a difference. Lots of people can make the claim. Very few people can actually do anything about it. And Jesus makes this claim. And the, the obvious response of the people is, okay, you're making this grand claim to be the Messiah. Prove it. Right? Just prove it. Jesus says it, right? He says, <clears throat> you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. We've heard you do all kinds of stuff in Capernaum, Capernaum, however we want to say it. Do it here. And Jesus gives it a very interesting response. What do you guys need? 
Is it a fair thing if someone makes this, this grand claim, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I am the anointed one who's going to preach the gospel to the poor? Okay, prove it. Okay. Maybe, that, maybe there's something fair there. Maybe, maybe there's, there's some justification to this question. Maybe there's some justification in our questions of God. Maybe there's expectations we have of God that might seem fair. Maybe, maybe we're asking God to prove himself to us. And maybe in our mind it makes sense because God has claimed to be all these great things. And, and, and I look around in my life and I look around in my situation and I look at what I'm facing and I look at the burdens and, and the, the hurt and I look at the, the fear of the, the future and I, I look at the, the anxiousness of what do I do now. And, and there's plenty in our lives that can drive us to this point where we're asking God, just prove yourself. You've made all these great claims, and, and we read Scripture. We know you can heal the blind. We know, we know you can deliver. We know you can do these great and wonderful things. And, and maybe I just, I need you to just prove yourself to me. Maybe we think it's a fair question. I'll be honest, I've asked God this question. Many times. <laughs> should I get a new job? Oh, God, I need you to tell me if I should get a new job. But, but what do we need? See, we, the, the detail of, you know, is, is Jesus really the Messiah? Hey, there's proof for that. Like Jesus is, he's going to prove that. He has proven that. And, and I'm convinced if we will follow him, he will prove that to us. But it will never be because we told him to just prove himself to us. It will be because of what he's doing that he proves who he is. So I want us to like actually like try to ask this question. of like, What do we need? And I want us to look at what Jesus says in this passage, what this passage is saying. And I want us to see the purpose, a little bit of the purpose of what Jesus is doing. And number one, it, I mean, I've said it multiple times, but we have to come back to it time and time and time again. And that's Jesus comes to preach the gospel. Jesus comes to preach the gospel. Now, let's be clear. Let's, let's look at this passage from Isaiah really just super quickly. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He is appointed, anointed, he's promised, his purpose is to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, he's going to do this multiple ways, right? He's going to uh, heal the brokenhearted. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's going to give recovery of sight to the blind. He's going to give liberty to those who are oppressed. But in all of these, there's three there's, there's one purpose to preach the gospel to the poor, and there's the main ways that he does it. But I want us to see emphasized two other times is this idea of proclaiming, okay? And so there's this, there's this need in us. There's this desire in us. God has given this great claim. Jesus has given this great claim to be the Messiah. And we ask, okay, prove it. Heal the blind. Guess what? He did. Okay? Uh, 
prove it. Um, deliver the, the captives. Okay, he's done that. He's done that. He's done that in my life. He's, he's done that throughout history, right? Like, Jesus has done these things. But the primary thing is to preach the gospel. And he says it two other times, to proclaim, to proclaim. And what is he proclaiming? Listen, Jesus, Jesus can cure. Jesus can heal. Jesus can deliver. He absolutely can do, do these things. They're not tricks. When he does it, he's proclaiming the gospel. What is the gospel? What, what is this primary purpose that Jesus came? What is the gospel? What is, and and I, I know I've said gospel a hundred times, or maybe not a hundred, but you know, I've said gospel a lot. And, and to just, like, to translate the word, it just means good news. To tell the good news, to preach, to proclaim the good news. And what is this good news? that the God of all creation who created us in his own image who, who gave us purpose and gave us design even though we've rebelled against him and we've sinned and we've rejected his design, we've rejected his way, the good news is that he has made a way for us to once again have life with him. Man, his design the design of him creating us was for a relationship so that we could know him, so that we could experience his glory and to worship him. And, and this is the design. This is why he created us, and we've rejected that. And we've, we've been broken, and we've been separated from our creator. And we've corrupted what we've been designed for. Instead of knowing our God, all we seek is to know ourselves. And yet, God has made a way. And the good news is that the promised one, the Messiah, is the one that would bring salvation. He would come and he would die on the cross. He would offer his life as a sacrifice in our place so that our, the penalty of my sin would be paid so that now I can have life. I can have forgiveness. Paul says it this way, that those who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. We can have life with God because the Messiah has come. This is the good news. This is what Jesus has promised. This is what Jesus is proclaiming. This is what Jesus is preaching. And we're running around saying, well, why don't you heal me? What do you mean? God has made a way for us to have life with him forever. And we're worried about this moment. We're worried about this, this little thing. And, and let's be clear, in this moment, it can be a great thing. But in the scope of the design that God has created us for, it's but a moment. And we keep asking God, and we keep begging God to be a little genie that fixes our little problems when he's been a part of a work that is much greater. And the things that he is doing is not just for this moment. It's to proclaim the good news to all people for all time. And it's time that we get rid of like what we're focused on as being the most important thing that we need. And instead we begin to ask, what do I actually need? I need to know my God. 
I need to have life with my God. What does our community need? Does our community need more coats? Absolutely. In this moment, that's something we should care about. We should care about the oppressed. We should care about the poor. We should care about the needy. But listen, our greatest need is we need God. We need to have like reconciliation with our creator. We need to take the things that we've corrupted and allow him to redeem it and make it new. We need new life. This is what we need. Jesus comes to those who need him. He comes to those who need him. But Jesus goes home and he gives this message and he says, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. And the answer was, well, do a magic trick. I don't care what you're doing elsewhere. Prove it to me right now. The answer was, I know you. You're the little kid that was running in the streets, right? You're Joseph's son. I bought a chair from you once. I know you. You're, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one who's going to bring reconciliation with God. You? The, the people reject him. I think there's many, many reasons why people reject Jesus. One, one big one that we see here, it talks about in this passage, is this idea of familiarity. And, and listen, I think it's important. Like I said at the beginning, we can't lose sight of who we're talking about. We're... Listen, Jesus is very personal. He cares about us at an intimate level, but he is the God of all creation. He's the one that spoke everything into being. And we, we can begin to think of Jesus as our friend to the extent where he's just the carpenter's son. And we can actually stop thinking that he is able to bring us reconciliation with God, to meet our needs. There, there, there were those that rejected him because they saw him and they couldn't see his power. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, show us another magic trick, but they'll explain it away. Or it'll never be enough. Because they can't see him for who he really is. And I beg of you today, get rid of whatever image you think of Jesus. And when he speaks, see him for who he says he is. Because he cares for you. Because he's working. He's done the work. And he is working to bring all back to him. So that thy, we can have life with him for eternity.
so that we can fulfill this purpose for which he's created us for. And when we begin to like see our momentary issue as the biggest thing in our life, as our greatest need, then suddenly Jesus can't take care of our greatest need because, well, he's working on that and all we're concerned with is this. Listen, God works here. God works in, in the temporal situations to affect the eternal. His purpose is not just to fix our little problems here. His purpose is life with him forever. Yeah. We, we do not, we cannot, cannot make Jesus' only purpose our wins. Instead, what we do is we come to him and we join him in the work he is doing. And listen, as he, as he is working, he works in our problems. He works in the temporal. He works in, in our situations. But not just for us. And not just for this moment. But so that he can proclaim the gospel to those in need. Are you in need? Are you in need? Listen, there's... There's these people that heard Jesus and they began to question what we have scripture. We we know who God is. We we have all the right answers. We don't need you to come and save us. See, there's some who reject him because like they, they just saw the, the carpenter. And there's some who reject him because they don't think they need him. So I ask you again, what do you actually need? Is the sole focus of your life this moment? Do you have a relationship with your creator? Do you know him? Can you speak to him today? Do you worship him? Jesus comes to those in need. But here's a really scary thing, is Jesus comes to those who will follow him. See, the, in, in Jesus' hometown where Jesus grew up and, and, and they'd watched him grow up, and, and, and Jesus says, he says, you're going you're to ask for me to, to heal, heal, because you can do it. Prove yourself. But he says this, assuredly, I say to you, verse 24, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And there's a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. The Jewish people, they, they were God's chosen people. 
and God had given them the law, and, and they were trying to follow God, and, and you know, they, they did everything right. They were, they're on the right track, and, and they don't need fixed because they're already doing the things they need to be doing to be right with God, and, and they're, they're already, you know, we've got this figured out, and, and they don't need salvation. You know, it'd be nice if you killed the Romans, that'd be nice, but like, you know, this thing between God and I, man, I got this figured out. Yeah, I'm not quite perfect. I'm real close, though, you know. We're, uh, man, I'm almost, you know, we got this figured out. No, no, they don't. And we can be so far from God while thinking that we're doing everything we can to know him. Jesus gives two examples of, of Gentiles, people that weren't God's chosen people. They, they weren't given the law. They weren't, they weren't privileged. They weren't special. One of them's a widow, and one of them's a leper. And yet when God spoke to them, and when God called them, they responded. We looked last week at Naaman, and it is this beautiful, it's this wonderful story of, of Naaman who, who, who's like seeking, he's a Syrian, he's a commander, and, and he's seeking to be healed, and he's trying to figure out how to get, you know, be healed so he can continue this lifestyle. And, 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 and he hears about uh, this God of Israel from a servant of his, and, and he's like, well, I'm willing to try anything. So he goes, and, and he ends up hearing from Elisha that he's supposed to go wash in this river seven times. And, and he's just like, well, that's stupid. There's cleaner water back where I'm home from. So that's not going to work. I've definitely taken a bath this year, right? And so, like, but then his servant says to him, my Lord, if the prophet had not asked you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he just said wash? And in that moment, Naaman says, you know, what God says, what Elisha says, what God says through the prophet, I'm going to do it. And when Jesus, our creator, he speaks, whatever it is, do we have that attitude? Do we, do we have that desire to do whatever God tells us to do? Do we have the attitude that God needs to prove himself before I do something? Or before I've been healed of my leprosy, will I go do what he tells me to do? Stop waiting for God to prove himself before you'll follow him. Follow him. Begin to see the work that he's doing. Realign your life and follow him wherever he leads. Some great thing or some little thing. And some of us, some of us say we'll follow God when, when a gun's to my head. But man, we don't follow Him when we're alone in our home. Oh, we'll we'll stand up to the school board. But we don't actually teach our children. We want to do the great thing. God says, "Wash and be." Jesus tells, tells us that we need to have the faith of a child. 
We don't earn our salvation. There is nothing we can do to reconcile the, the, the brokenness of our relationship with our God. But we repent. And we believe that Jesus, that Jesus has paid our penalty to come to the foot of the cross. And there be The other story here is Elijah and the whole nation, God's chosen people, following a wicked woman. And they're not worshiping God. And Elijah calls down this, this drought, this famine on the land. God sends him to a widow, not in, in Israel, some random Gentile place to some random widow. And God told Elijah that I'm going to feed you through this widow. Elijah goes to the widow and he's like, hey, can I get some food? And she says this. I don't have a loaf of bread to give you. I have a little flour. I have a little oil. I'm going to go make it. I'm going to feed my son and I. And we're going to die. She's got. Elijah says, here's what God wants you to do. Make me food first and then go back and make food for you and your sons. That's what she does. She does. She makes them food and brings it and they eat. And then she goes back and there's still more. So she makes herself some food. And they eat. And you know what they do the next day? Is that a little bit of het flour and a little bit of oil? I guess we got more today. I don't know where it came from, but it's still there. So they make some more. And, and the next day, well, I guess we're dying today. Oh, wait, no, there's more flour and there's, there's more oil. You know what we need? What we need is a daily dependence on God to give us what we need today. And we need to, on a daily basis, offer everything we have to God. And when what God asks of us is all the flour and oil we have, then we come to him and we give it all. And then, after we've given, we see that God can do. That God can do miracles. But I fear in our day and age and in our country, we have so much excess that what we call need is still excess. And we don't actually need God in our lives. We, we don't need a miracle from God. We need a doctor. We don't need a miracle from God. We need a food bank. We don't need, listen, all these things are great. And literally, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should have the heart of God to care for and provide, provide for those that are oppressed, for those that are poor, for the needy, right? We should have God's heart for these things and, and be the hands, of, hands and feet of God in the world today to provide for those things. But what I want us to recognize is we have a spiritual neediness. And when all of our 
all of our neediness is just a physical neediness, we miss the purpose for which God is preaching. We work in the physical, temporal realm to influence the eternal. Jesus says, lay up your tre- do not lay up your treasures on, he- on earth where moth and rust destroy and corrupt, but instead lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and corrupt. Stop holding on to everything here thinking this is the purpose. This is what I need. No. What I need is to know my God. To have a relationship. To be made right with God. And these, these are real things that we care about. But we stop basing our relationship off with God over these things. Instead we, whatever God tells us to do, wherever he leads, to take care of the poor, to be the widow that, that provides out of the little we have. Our, our family, our community, and us personally, our greatest need is to be right with our God, with our creator. Jesus is the one that has made a way for us to do that. And so I would ask of us that we would be willing to follow God wherever he leads us. To do whatever he says, great or small. And that we would recognize that our greatest need is is for God to heal the spiritual brokenness in our lives. And that God would begin to heal us as we come to him. I'd ask you today, do you know your God? Do you have a relationship with him? And on a day-to-day basis, in this relationship, as you follow God, are you losing sight of his purpose and the work that he is doing because of what's in the moment? Let's be led by our, our Messiah, the anointed one who comes to preach the gospel. Lord, we come to you today and we're, we're thankful because if it was up to us, our, our flour and oil would be gone. And if it was up to our wisdom, we would still not understand what Isaiah 61 means. But you have come and you have worked and you have made a way. And you are working today in our midst to provide for the spiritual needs of our families and our community. And so I pray that as we follow you, that we would lay down everything we have in an offer to you so that you can use us to share your gospel in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. I do want to say um, uh, we... I would love to talk with anyone about